Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Inside the QB factory, where our magical development dust make dreams come true. I am your host, Michael Kist, and this is all, of course, brought to you by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. This is episode 13 of the QB factory, and as always, I am joined by QB1 in our hearts, in our minds, Mark Schofield. Mark, how you doing, brother? I'm doing well, buddy. It's uh, nice to be here for lucky number 13. Always a pleasure to see your shiny and happy face on a Friday morning. <laughs> I thought you were going to say shiny head. <laughs> I wasn't going to say shiny head, but since you opened that door, I mean. Yeah. Um, but we do start with most of the ways we start the show by opening a historical door. And now, Michael, I am a fan of all things D-Day, Okay. All things D-Day. And it, it, it did not know that about you. Yeah. It, I, what would give me that impression? At I, have, all? I have no idea. And, <laughs> and maybe it's the fact that over my left shoulder is handing yeah. my grandfather's D-Day pin. But I do want to begin here because many people remember General Dwight D. Eisenhower and the letter he wrote to the troops before D-Day began, which began, you are about to embark upon the great crusade towards which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you and on. And it was a tremendous letter. It's in the National Archives. But what's also of note is a second letter, a handwritten letter that Eisenhower scribbled together before the invasion began. And it was a letter accepting full blame for the failure of the D-Day invasion. And it read, our landings have failed to gain a satisfactory foothold and I have withdrawn the troops. My decision to attack at this time and place was based on the best information available. The troops, the air, and the Navy did all that bravery and devotion to duty could do. If any blame or fault attaches to the attempt, it is mine alone. And what's fascinating about that, Mike, is he originally wrote, you know, the operation but then he scratched that out. You can see it. He scratches that out and changes that to my decision to attack. Oh, wow. And the reason why I bring this up is he's accepting blame ahead of time. Yeah. Had this gone south, he was going to own it. He was, as we might say today, going to take the L. <laughs> and so now, Mike, why do you think I would reference somebody taking the L or at least potentially taking the L on this day on this show. So I'm going to imagine it's because on QB Factory 12, we were talking about a certain quarterback named Nick Mullins. We were. You had the take, and we'll get into the context of this take, but the take was that Nick Mullins might be the better quarterback in San Francisco. Twice the take. You did say, however, the key to unraveling Mullins was in fact pressure, right? And having that mount up on him. And the Eagles put pressure on Mullins at a rate of 54.8%, the highest 
in the week four slate. So I'm actually kind of saving you here by giving that you're, extra context. You're that- throwing me a lifeline, which <laughs> yes. I do appreciate because you're a good friend, but I'm going to reject that lifeline and that little Love lifeboat it. for one reason. Because of the self-loathing. <laughs> Well, yes, there's that. I want to feel something again. There's also the fact that his best throw of the night hit Alex Singleton right between the four and the nine on his jersey with absolutely no reason or explanation for it. It was the best placed throw of his entire game right to a backup linebacker. And he began the night with juice check wide open on a fullback wheel route, which our friend Jeff Risden declares to remain undefeated, even though. (laughs) Mullins gave that play an L. And so I appreciate the lifeboat. I have to humbly reject it. Last week, Mike, was a bit shaky for the brand. Bit shaky for the brand because not only do we have Mullins in the wake of that take, you had Brett Rippon with a bit of an up and down performance on Thursday night. Look. I mean, for the guy's first game in the NFL, it was a, 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 and I think I said this on the probably unfair podcast on the SB Nation NFL show with me and Kyle Posey, but I, I said Rippon was actually one of my winners because he made that game more entertaining than it had any oh, right to be. Did I he mean, throw two touchdowns? Yes. Did he throw three interceptions? Absolutely. Was it fun? You betcha. Though that game was a ton of fun. And the second touchdown throw was legit. Okay, it the first awesome. one to Judy, that was that should have been interception number four of the night. The touchdown to Patrick was a legit rope seam yeah. route from the slot in the red zone against cover one. Like that was brilliant. And he had his two best throws of the night, I think, were late in that game. The throw to Deshaun that mm. Hamilton never even puts his arms out. That could have been six. Yeah. And then the third down conversion to Patrick along the left sideline. So look, I mean, it was still a shaky weekend for the brand. Um but it wasn't a complete loss. What we were talking about with Brett Rippon at the time, it, with me anyway, I wanted him at the Senior Bowl instead of guys like Clayton Thorson. Am I wrong on that? I don't I, think no, so. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I, mean, I wanted but- him instead of guys like Trace McSorley, who hasn't seen the field. I wanted him instead of guys like Tyree Jackson from Buffalo, who has yet to see the field. As far as I'm concerned, Brett Rippon at least showed like, hey, I can at least go out there and sling around a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, look, he he showed that he's at least got that like lifetime backup spot starter ability yeah. where like you can short week, barely any practice time, and he gets you a win on the road against a team that was basically fighting for its life, yeah. or at least fighting for its coach who decided to like play <laughs> Sam Darnold on a broken chicken weight and Makai Beckton wasn't supposed to play. And yeah, you're going to go out there anyway. And then he throws him <laughs> under the bus after the game, which caused Duke to pull the SUV over and lose his <laughs> mind on Twitter. So, I mean, yeah, I, I give Rippin some credit for that game. He made some mistakes, but I mean, you're going to do that as a young quarterback. So, I mean, like I said, I had to pen a couple of letters myself, scratch together some letters this weekend, but we forge on because that's what we do. That's and if you think correct. I'm ever going to have a hot take again, like Mullins is QB1 in San Francisco, you might be waiting a while. All takes are good takes. All takes are proven right eventually. So you just got to hang in there, buddy. <laughs> I'm just going to cling to that. He's going to win a game down the stretch for San Francisco. And I'll be like, I told you people. I told you people. Speaking of bad takes, let's talk about, well, you know, it's not a bad take. Carson Wentz kind of regressed to the mean in this game. So like every week, what we do is we do our Carson Wentz performance review. This one will be a little bit shorter. It's later on in the week. Some of this, some of it's a little bit stale, but we're going to do it anyway. So shut up and listen. Uh, and then we're going to get into uh, the uh, the upcoming enemy opponent. So that will be talking about Ben Roethlisberger with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But going back to, to Wentz quickly, you know, after three weeks of just like 
pulling your hair out. What the heck are you doing? You know, it talks in, in sports radio, the question being asked, if he's this bad at half, do you pull him? Uh, we didn't have to answer that question, thankfully, because Carson Wentz had a bit of a bounce back game. And look, it was an average game for Wentz. It was a fine game for Wentz. Nothing was crazy good. Nothing was crazy bad, right? You know, the throw to Travis Fulgham was nice, but like a lot of NFL quarterbacks make that throw. But overall on the day, 18 of 28, uh, completed 64% of his passes, 193 yards, one touchdown, one interception with a passer rating of 81.4. This was done with literally like nobody around him. Zach Ertz, like the only ingrained starter there. The offensive line was was torn to shreds and continues to be uh, throughout the season for them. But actually got some decent performances from those guys, so I don't want to complain about him too much. But uh, for once, this was an encouraging sign. He gets the W. I don't know how much that means. It depends how much you value quarterback wins. Uh, I don't value them a whole lot, but I think overall, I was encouraged by Wentz, and I want to see it continue going into the next couple of weeks. But what were your thoughts, Mark? I mean, I think you kind of nailed it. I mean, it was a solid performance. You got to win, whatever that counts for, if you believe in QB wins or not. You know, he made some nice throws. Like you said, the, the throw to Fulgham on the left sideline. Most NFL quarterbacks probably make that throw, uh, but he made it in a big spot. Yeah. Uh, my immediate takeaway, you know, for most primetime games over at Touchdown Wire, I write a five observations piece. And the fifth observation I had after that game was, is it time to just let Carson be Carson? You know, you know, the hashtag in Seattle, let Russ cook. Mm. I wonder if it's time to just let him be who he is. Like, stop trying to make him some sort of pocket quarterback, West Coast quarterback, Corey Elk, whatever. Just let him play the game and accept you know, that. The hashtag in Philly is let the Bronco buck. Now that's kind of like the the rallying cry to get him on the move. But I think that could also mean like, yo, this guy's Bucephalus. Let him be Bucephalus yeah. basically. Yeah. Then yeah, let the Bronco buck. Like I'm fully on board with that because you're going to have to live with some of the, like the interception was a play where he just kind of like ran around for a little bit and yeah. kind of went haywire and had a bit of a malfunction and the pass gets tipped and picked. Yeah. But some of his bigger plays, even ones that didn't count, were what he was just trying to create. And mm. maybe that was an offshoot of the talent that he had to play with that night and the offensive line having some protection issues. But we've talked for three years now about the duality of Wentz and his play style and his willingness to fight. And it might just be time to just lead into that and accept the possible side effects and repercussions that come from it. But it seems like when he is either rolled out by design or allowed to make plays on the move or forced to make plays on the move, that might be when he's at his best. And it might be a way to get him into the flow. And I know we've gone down the scary Mitch Trubisky road at times this year, but Matt Nagy, in an effort to get him into the rhythm of games, would sometimes call design runs for him, sometimes call some rollouts for him to get him on the move, maybe to get him popped once, to get him into the flow of a game. Maybe that's something you need to do a bit with Wentz. Let him move around a bit, force him to move around a bit, let him get into the flow of the games, and let the Bronco buck. There you go. So I actually kind of want to preview, since we're later on in the week, I I do kind of want to preview what the Eagles have up ahead with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I have my own historical reference for this. Uh, So gentle listener, if you're not big into the historical references, you know what to do. Just fast forward a couple of minutes like you do, (laughs) and and we'll we'll get into it. But I do want to talk about something that, that... I've been reading, you know, I, I've been reading Persian Fire by Tom Holland, you know, uh, Herodotus, the Tom Holland translation of that uh, is fantastic Well, as well. It's a nice companion. I've been listening to King of Kings 
the series by uh, Dan Carlin, which is uh, amazing, just incredibly well done. If you, you know, hardcore history, go listen to it if you haven't. But uh, they're talking about the the campaign uh, by Darius in uh, in Scythia back in 513 BC. So it's Persians against the Scythians, Darius against Aiden uh, Thyrsos, right? So we know what the Persians want from these these Central Asian, you know, steppe horse people, right? They want earth and water. We've seen the movie 300. They want submission to the master. Uh, and they're complaining to the Scythians, like, y'all won't fight. Like, they keep fleeing. They keep going all scorched earth in, in their retreat further into the steppe, and it's annoying the heck out of the Persians. You know, these horse archers are known to just, like, not, you know, coalesce into a force that you can just attack with one full, you know, frontal battle. Uh, in response to, you know, these complaints from the Persians, Aiden Thyrsos, this Scythian king, literally tells them to cry about it. He says, you know what? You want to fight? Go find our ancestral graves, dig them up, and we'll fight then. Until then cry about it because we're going to continue to do this and this game goes on for a bit right until a fun little story happens so Aiden Thyrsos sends a messenger to Darius and he it sends him a gift with him he sends him a bird a mouse a frog and five arrows and Darius is like oh hey thanks bud I, mean, I think this is this means they're ready to submit and his buddy Gabrias tells him oh hold on buddy this is what they're saying quote if the Persians could not fly in the sky like birds, could not burrow in the ground like mice, or jump in the lake like frogs, then they should expect to die by arrows, end quote. Now, the Persians do some real damage to the Scythians where they can, but they need to get the heck out of there because they can't force a meaningful confrontation, right? It's getting a little hairy for them. And the Scythians know this, and they're actually providing the Persians, who are running low on supplies, the occasional lifeline, like I did with Mark earlier in this show. They're leaving behind livestock occasionally, just enough to entice the Persians to keep going until the Persians are, are, are just done with it, right? So Darius says, let's get the hell out of here. Now, how do you do that? Well, at their camp, they've got a bunch of donkeys and they've got a bunch of men that are of lesser fighting quality, might be a little bit worn down from running all over the, the Central Asian steppe, right? So they tie up all the donkeys and they tell the men, hey, we're going to go attack the Persians. You stay right here. So the noise of the donkeys makes the Scythians think that the Persians are still there. And there are still also some visible men there. And the Persians slip out and they just get the heck out of there. Now, the reason I bring this up is for a couple of reasons. Because the whole bit about like, you're going to die to arrows if you can't do, you know, X, Y, Z reminds me of Carson Wentz dying to the arrows of the Pittsburgh Steelers or Blitzburg because their defensive line is absolutely going to chew them up. The part about the Persians being able to slip out with some deception is how the Eagles are going to have to treat this defensive line. They cannot just drop back, you know, five-step drops, let the rush come directly at them. They're going to have to make them chase some, some different things, right? Give them some eye candy to, to protect Wentz. So when you look at this upcoming game for Wentz, and the Steelers, like, what can you do to help your quarterback survive this? Because I think it's just going to be a mauling in the trenches. I think if you are Doug Peterson and Press Taylor, if you haven't just totally seared and memorized what Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid did to Baltimore at the start mm. of that game Monday night, mm -hmm. then you failed. Because think about how they started that game. Baltimore is going into that night having seen what the Chargers did against the Kansas City Chiefs the week prior, right? 
they're getting pressure on Mahomes. They're slowing that offense down. Now, part of it is when you have a Bosa brother, you can get pressure with four. We saw that from the Chargers. We saw it from the 49ers. But you see what pressure can do to Mahomes. And so they go into that game plan, Baltimore does, with we're going to blitz him, we're going to get after him. Yep. So what does Reed do? What does Biennemi do? You're seeing dual read screens. You're mm. seeing dual read screens with a tight end, you know, hot route in the middle of the field. Yep. You're showing them all these different things to get them to worry about getting to the flanks because they were worried about being outflanked. And I literally wrote after that game, I used the whole military thing. You actually called me out on it because <laughs> – I talked about how Andy Reid and Biennemi were like outflanking the Ravens defense. That's what you have to do at the start of this game. You know, and we it's something we've talked about. You have to change the aim and point for these defensive linemen, for these edge rushers. Because if they could just pin their ears back and know if I get seven yards behind the center, I'm gonna hit Carson Wentz, you're gonna you're gonna lose that battle. Mm-hmm. But if they have to think, where's he gonna be? Or do I have to worry about getting to the to the flat against the screen? Or if I do that, are they gonna throw Ertz on a little like Y pop pass behind me. Like you have to get them thinking. Yes. If, I'm always of the mind, if you get defensive players thinking, you're doing a pretty good job as an offensive coordinator and play caller. So yeah. that's what they need to do. They have to go into that game. The scripted 10, the scripted 15 have to be all sorts of ways to change their aiming points. And that will be the best way to start slowing down that pass rush. Yeah. And it might look like too cute in the beginning. Right. right? And that's fine. Right. That's fine. You'd rather be too cute in the beginning and have it pay off in the end than try to impose your will with bloody blows and end up pay- playing Jalen Hurts by the second half because you've gotten your quarterback killed. Right. And that's where your adaptive play calling comes in and wins the game for you as it kind of goes on. So yeah. you may take some early L's, but I, I yeah. really like that point. I mean, we saw what, the, what, what they did to the, uh, the Giants offensive line when they were able to key on things and tee off. Like the Giants made it real obvious what they wanted to do. The Steelers play Great team defense. Mm-hmm. They're super fast to get to the ball. I mean, there were plays where like eight guys could have made the play near the line of scrimmage. So I, I right. 100% agree with you. Take that enemy game plan and see if you can adapt it to your own. And I, I think the Eagles did a decent job of changing those long launch points for, for once last week. So they're definitely capable of it, right? Yeah. yeah, they moved once around a little bit. Like his launch points were much more varied than we've seen in some of his previous games. And it wasn't artificial. It was by mm. design. The other thing I'll mention about the Steelers defense is despite their ability to play team defense, which you said it's completely true. Great point. They have been susceptible over into you know last season and into this year on some of those high low concepts mills yankee wherever you saw the giants hit him for a big play on slayton yep. you know will you show that little bit of cheese in front of the free safety sometimes they do a good job of nailing it down and exchanging to the back end sometimes they don't you can show them a two-man max protection yankee concept with that underneath crosser the deep shot over the top you might get a cheap easy one because that safety in the middle field will bite down. Cornerback won't fill in the middle of the field. And you can hit that post route like they did for Slayton back in week one. So you can go max protection and still do that and stress the middle of the field deep down the field as well. And so there are things you can put together to make plays against this defense. It's a good defense, but you have that you know mesh of the enemy read game plan, some high-low concepts. You might be able to hit some things against this team. Fire Rich Gangarello. Fire Press Taylor. Hire Mark Schofield, 
hire Michael Kiss. Not that yeah. I'm going to add any value, but just like pay me some money. That'd be dope. Look, I mean, look, <laughs> you and I have tried throughout the past couple of years to just bring each other along in this industry. So that's right. the natural progression of everything. One of us gets a job with a team. We hire yes. the other one. And, you know, one of us will be eating grapes while the other does some game planning. Like, look, if, if a defense hires you as a defensive coordinator, which is entirely possible, I'm content just like cutting up film and eating grapes. Like, I'm cool yeah. with that. I love it. We have had kind of the, that career arc in our friendship, right? Where like yeah. one's down and the other one's like, I got you, man. Get up. Yeah. And then it that's, just that's, like rolls that's what, that's what friends do, you know, yeah. even though you soft blocked me on Twitter. Like that's what friends do. <laughs> All right. So when we come back here on the QB Factory, we're going to get into some Big Ben. That's Big coming ben. up next here on the Factory. This message comes from Apple Card. Earn up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Member FDIC. Terms apply. And we are back here on the QB Factory episode 13, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, bringing it to you. Michael Kist here with QB1 in our hearts, in our minds. Now, let's talk about Mark. Big Ben is back. And the the Steelers offense, maybe not totally reaching uh, some lofty expectations that people had for them. But overall, I think they've been average, which is a boost for them over what we saw last year with, you know, Duck Hodges and mason rudolph and and whatnot but i mean you look at the steelers and i was saying this online on twitter and someone pointed out to me that that uh ben fennel had pointed this out to friend duffy uh on on their great uh eagles podcast the steelers really haven't changed since the 90s like maybe like 1994 right defensively they're blitzburg right and and they have a certain prototype that they want in the trenches and and they have those like those those calling cards offensively they're they're a gap power run team and and they want to put six O linemen on the field with two tight ends and, and kind of take over the game that way. I will say one thing that has changed and I mentioned this on the Kiss and Solak show uh, as well. I think we see the influence of of Matt Canada, the new quarterback's coach in Pittsburgh. They're running the six most most motion at the snap, so you're getting more eye candy with this offense which makes it tough. It's something that the Eagles have struggled with. So you're going to see a totally different ground game from what the Eagles have seen this year, uh, but you're also going to see some stuff that they have struggled with with the uh, with the motions and whatnot. You know, overall when you, when you look at this offense, it, anything else to add as far as like how they're constructed, how they want to win maybe in the passing game as well? Yeah, I think you're right about the motion. I have got them charted with 120 passing plays so far this year. 63 of those have used motion motion mm. like just whether it's at the snap or prior to the snap to get information Dan Orlovsky pointed out you know information can do two things it can give you information or it can have an impact and that motion at the snap is more of the impact um, but you know 63 motion plays you know 53 percent of the time that's a big jump for them another tendency I noticed of those 120 passing plays only eight of those came from under center you know, traditionally, they've been more of an under center, you know, play action type team at times, you know, 109 passing plays from the gun, 92% of those, you know, provided my math is right. And they've kind of gotten away from play action too, right? Yeah. I haven't seen that much from them. No, no, they haven't done a lot of play action, which which is surprising to me. I've also seen them, and this is sort of standard Pittsburgh, like you mentioned, 
they have a lot of vertical concepts to their passing game. Almost mm. everything seems to be based off of vertical releases where even their quick game stuff, so to speak, yeah. they're taking a vertical stem and they're breaking it off at like 8 to 10 to 15 yards. Mm-hmm. You, know, you see a lot of half field reads where he's got, you know, I, I – you know, I charted it out with my old school Air Coriel offensive numbers where it's 585, where you've got the comebacks in the post in the <laughs> middle of the field, or, you know, 989, the goes in the post in the middle of the field, or sometimes you see 966 or 566 where it's the go route to one side and it's the double digs from the other side, where he's just reading man or zone. And if he sees man, he's probably taking a deep shot on the nine route. You saw it to chase Claypool on a, a touchdown, you know, against Denver. You saw it against Houston um, early in the game. It was quarter one, 12, 38. He just saw cover one. He just threw a nine ball to Juju. And so it's a lot of, if I get mad, I'm just taking my deep shot, almost fool's ask. If I get zone, I'll work the concept to the other side of the field. And so that's how they're kind of constructed. It's, it's interesting that you're doing this man versus zone stuff. You see it with Cincinnati and how they're using Joe Burrow. You're doing it with Ben Roethlisberger, who's a hmm. veteran who can be trusted to read defenses, but with motion, you know, with these half field concepts, it's a way to make life easier for your quarterback, which is your job if you're an offensive coordinator. And so it's a fun little offense to study. I, I think Ben is Ben back. I don't know. I honestly don't. I think some of the throws I've seen from him, particularly when he's on the move, seem like he's back. You know, the touchdown to Deontay Johnson in the Denver game where he was on the mm. move, flushed to his right. That was a Roethlisberger-esque throw. Other throws, he looks more like Breeze where the ball sort of dips at the end of it. Yeah. Um, and you don't see the full-on velocity. And I don't know if it's a, you know, the elbow is still, you know, he's not trusting the elbow or what. Um, so in terms of is he back, I don't know. In terms of what that means, do you maybe drop more into coverage and try to force him to make some tight window throws? That's a chance. I and mean, That's a thought. So... Interesting to see what they do against them this week, but it is an interesting offense to study. Yeah, you look you look at his stats, and you could you could say that he's back, but you dig into it a little bit more, and you notice some some red flags. So, for instance, right now he's completing sixty seven percent of his passes. He hasn't done that since two thousand fourteen, right? He's got a quarterback rating of one hundred and five. He hasn't been over a hundred since I want to say two thousand fourteen. Uh, but then his yards per attempt, you look at his yards per attempt, you know, throughout the years. This is one of his lowest totals going back to like 2008. The reason I believe that is, is you kind of mentioned it, uh, the ball kind of dying on him a little bit. I think their deep passing game has really struggled and uh, he has not been good on the deep ball this year. And there's there's the connection isn't happening there. I, I kind of put it to Ben this way. I said they might be a sleeping giant as far as that goes, because if that start hitting and then those stats are bolstered by that, right? Like seven touchdowns, only one interception, right? He, he's a touchdown rate of 6.4%, which is pretty doggone good. Uh, then you have a serious uh, contender there. So do, do you think he's a bit of a sleeping giant or do you want to see more? Like overall, how damaging can this Steelers pass game be? Because I kind of feel like this might be a little bit of a slog it out game unless we see that uptick from the Steelers uh, offense. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... This could be a sleeper giant situation in the sense that as the season goes along and as he sort of gets back up to speed, remember, he basically missed all of last year and had no training camp preseason games, really, you know, given COVID-19. And so this could be part of a getting up to speed, feeling all process with new receivers like Chase Claypool and, you know, Deontay Johnson hasn't had a ton of time with Roethlisberger. And so I think there's that's part of it. Um, And I think, look, they're in that offensive mode right now where – you know, they can still hit shot plays even if he's not fully back. 
Mm-hmm. And so they have the ability to hit on some of those plays. What's interesting is you look at him in sort of tough contested catch situations, not a ton of success. Mm. I mean, and, and that gets to the arm strength question. Like looking at like he's got eight throws this year where I'd say there was these were tough contested, you know, windows. And he's only hit, I think, on one of them. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, two. Both to Chase Claypool, interestingly yes. enough. One, the 84-yarder, and then there was another one against the Giants on back the on open at night. The one on the yeah. sideline. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. everything else fell incomplete. And so it's almost like like I was talking about. You force him to make some tougher throws into tighter windows. And I know that's the typical saw about, oh, well, if you make life tougher on the quarterback, you're, you're going to be successful as a defense. But you're seeing numbers bear that out. You're seeing film bear that, bear that out. So I think they could be a bit of a sleeping giant. But the Steelers in the Eagles game, if you're the Eagles, you might be catching them at the right time you know, yeah. because they, they're not fully back yet. Now, they've had two weeks to get ready. You know, They've had two weeks to get everybody on the same page because they didn't have to play the Titans last week. So maybe there's a double-edged sword to that. Are they kind of putting a pacifier on Ben? Because you look at his time to throw and he's at 2.28, which is you know top five in the league. That ball is coming out super quick. Is this all is this all part of the design? Do they are they trying to just get Ben in a rhythm? Like, are they worried about him getting injured again? Because he's always kind of been so so beat up all the time and he's getting older now. What do you think is the reason behind that? I mean, if you think about Ben Roethlisberger, you ask somebody that's, you know, a fan of the game or studies the game, what do you think of what comes to mind? Play a little word association with Ben Roethlisberger. Pump fake. You're thinking about <laughs> a, a pump fake guy that's going to fight in the pocket, that's a battleship that is not going to go down. Like, that's what you think of. Yep. And as we've talked about the duality of Wentz, right? When Wentz was coming out, he drew a lot of Roethlisberger comparisons. Yes. A lot of people said big guy, strong, country strong in the pocket, mm-hmm. not going to go down. And now you're seeing perhaps the effects of that on Roethlisberger near the tail end of his career where he's battled injuries and he's hinted at retirement and maybe he doesn't really want to come back and he's not fully invested in it. So what do you do? You get the ball out of his hands quickly. You give, hey, you get a nine route throw it, otherwise take the check down. Mm -hmm. You get the ball out of his hands, 2.6 seconds, which you said is very quick in the league right now. And it minimizes the opportunities where he's going to stand in the pocket, do what he's known to do, which is take shots, absorb blows, and somehow survive through it. And then, you know, when he gets breathed on awkwardly, start limping to the sideline because, <laughs> let's face it, I know drama queens. I'm a bit of one at times myself. Oh, yeah. Roethlisberger, man. He's the king of it. <laughs> king of it. Like he gets sneezed on and he's questionable for the next game. He throws a pick and he's looking at his hand. He's looking, he's looking at, at his, his elbow. Hand, he's adjusted everything. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, look, he's, he's, he's been fun to watch even as somebody that, you know, as a Patriots fan, there's been some battles between New England and Pittsburgh over the years. He's a fun quarterback to watch. But, yeah. I mean, he throws, he'll throw a pick early on Sunday and he'll be adjusting the knee brace. Like, <laughs> you'll be like, uh-oh. He'll be warming somebody up on the sidelines. and Yeah. yeah. So that's going to do it for our preview of Ben Roethlisberger. We did our review of Carson Wentz and a preview of the Steelers, too. So a nice little wrinkle there. We hit a couple historical references. We did our job, and I think it's about time to clock out. Mark, any last words for the gentle listeners before we get the heck on out of here? Wash your hands. Wear the masks. Kids, go see Michael's quick little like Rick and Morty thing on the Titans and the, and the NFL, which – I had to retweet. I actually I wanted to retweet that initially. Yeah. But I'm like, this is too good. I'm gonna wait until everybody's watching the game. Oh, and man. so once the game kicked off, I'm like, I'm retweeting this now so everybody sees it. That was one of the funniest things I've seen on Twitter in a long time. And it's one of those, you know, I follow way too many people on Twitter. 
Not the gentle listeners. All the gentle listeners that I follow, it's with love. But I follow way too many people, including people in like political Twitter. Yeah. And there are moments when something from football Twitter will cross the political Twitter and vice yeah. versa. And that was one of those because suddenly I'm getting it retweeted by like all these political people that follow me. And I'm just like, man, this is this is good. This is good stuff. So yeah, kudos to you on that tweet. Amazing. All right. So that did it. We went viral. We did a podcast and now it's time to go. So remember, subscribe, rate, review, leave those written reviews in uh, Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know who you like, who you don't like, all that good stuff. That's going to do it for uh, here, for us. So that's going to do it for here. Wow. Holy Mark. Can I finish this? You can, but wait, we got some news. Oh, what's some news? Per Pro Football Talk, the Jets have a presumptive positive COVID-19 test. Who does? The Jets. The Jets. Wow. It's Darnold. It's Darnold? No, I'm guessing it's Darnold because of the mono thing, right? Oh, my (laughs) jeez. I mean, the guy's got a weakened immune system as it is. Oh, my God. He probably gave it to himself because he doesn't want to play for Gase anymore. Well, Gase probably gave it to him so he could have another excuse like, man, we haven't had Darnold healthy for two seasons. (laughs) Well, he'd probably run about there anyway. I don't care if it's COVID positive. (laughs) I'm telling you, man. Holy crap. Yeah, that that's that's bad news when it, it's starting to leak out to some other teams. But it's the Jets. Yeah. Shut them down entirely. Give the other team a W. I don't care who it's fair to, who it's not fair to. Like, yeah. just come on. What are we doing with the Jets What here? are we doing? Why, why, why are we pretending they're an NFL team? All right, that's going to do it for the factory. Keep an eye on that. And uh, yeah, go dominate. Have yourselves a day. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply.